The second reading this morning is taken from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 20 through 31. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not see him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, good morning and happy Easter to you and greetings from our Baptist family. It's so good to be here. I haven't heard such good singing. Uh, It's just fantastic. I don't know whether it's the acoustics or what, but brilliant to be here and be excited by that. But the investigators in Jerusalem had a bit of a job on their hands, didn't they? The stone is rolled away. They have a body, but this body is Judas. He has hung himself. There is a body missing, that man called Jesus. There's talk of angels and an earthquake. The guards at the tomb are incoherent. They are catatonic, almost. The burial cloths are left, as if the body has just evaporated. A case good enough for Inspector Barnaby of Midsummer CID or CSI, if that is more your taste. Today is a great global celebration. And the reality is, of course, is that it is an empty tomb. And we don't need any investigators, for many have investigated. We know that the body was never found because Jesus had risen. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to many others. He appeared to 500 at one time. And so we give thanks today. People will have been up early. Some people in the Pacific Islands will have been up almost a day ago, perhaps even more than a day ago, to celebrate the risen Lord. And we are here to remember that he died and rose again as the greatest act in history of sacrifice, love, and generosity. But it is also 
April Fool's Day. The day when we notice the gullibility and foolishness of all of us at some point. Not since 1956 has Easter Day and April Fool's Day appeared on the, uh, coincided. And you may remember some of the April Fool's stories that are in the media. You can usually tell. But one of the things today is that mass media makes it much harder to actually make fools of us. It's widely recognised that the best April's fool joke by far was in 1956, the Panorama programme where they declared in Switzerland that the weevil, the spaghetti weevil, had actually attacked all the spaghetti trees and there was to be no spaghetti harvest this year. Hard to believe that we'd get away with that. Or in Sweden in 1962, their technical expert said that actually, thanks to new technology, viewers could convert their existing sets to display colour reception. Some of you won't remember this, some of us do, that it was all black and white in those days. And apparently their technical expert said, if you put a nylon stocking over your screen, it will bend the light so that you can see it in colour. And lots of people tried it. (laughs) Or maybe, now you should listen to this one. This one was on March the 31st. This gives something of the game away. A UFO landed in London in 1989 and thousands of motorists saw it. And they rang the police and it landed in a field, um, uh, the flying saucer, and and actually out got this silver man. And the policeman ran away, um, but it was, of course, Richard Branson. But because of the wind direction, he'd landed a day early, um, and so actually something of the April Fool's joke was lost. But the interesting thing about April Fool's jokes is that they have to be really clever in order to actually impress people. It takes a lot of understanding of human behaviour and insight into people to be able to pull off a real April Fool's joke these days. And when we think back over history, we think of the court jesters, the comics, the funny men of the medieval times. They were often the most insightful and the most understanding people. They watched those with power and influence. They saw them. And they had access to all kinds of knowledge. And people said things because they thought these jesters were just stupid fools. They saw what was going on and they knew how far their mockery and their joking and jesting could go. And the more insight and wit they had, the greater their value was as entertainers. But step over the mark and off with their head. But actually, the fool is often the most insightful one in the room. And so we come to Easter Sunday and the absurdity of God's wisdom, the foolishness of being here today. As Jesus hung on the cross, the soldiers mocked him. They yelled, they, they thought his mission had failed. Save yourself, they, they, they yelled. As our reading said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to most. And that's not a new thought. God's way, God's power, God's purposes have seen, been seen as folly throughout history. 
Psalm 53, fools do not believe God and do not trust God. They think it's ridiculous. The prophet Hosea said, the prophet is considered a fool and, in, and the inspired man a maniac. And again in our reading today, Paul makes the point that Jews demand miracles and signs of God at work. Greeks look for wise words and sophisticated arguments. But to both of these great groups, simply preaching Jesus Christ is seen as nonsense, madness, recklessness even. And so today, with the shops closed, much to the surprise of many, I'm sure, who will try and go and get something, people will think we're fools. Why wouldn't we be at home doing the DIY? I can tell you, this is much preferable for us than DIY. Or the gardening, or with family, or with friends. On Tuesday, I will go to the funeral of someone I grew up with. She was 62. She had minor surgery three weeks ago, and that went fine, but then she got a clot, and it went to the heart, and nothing could be done. And it will be a humanist funeral. She was always respectful of faith, but for her, she had chosen family and working hard to keep a roof over her head, and hoping that if she could just keep working for a few more years, then they could have the money for a really happy retirement. Those retirement years will never be hers. So many have made the decision that we are the fools and that they are wise and they have rejected the simple wisdom of God. (coughs) Jesus has a lot to say about folly and the fools are those who don't take seriously the call of God on their lives. Those who think they know better, those who think they can actually not take it all too seriously. Jesus says, you foolish leaders, you look to see if people are washing their hands, you make sure they get all the externals right, but inside you are a bunch of greedy, wicked oppressors. If you thought for one moment about what you are saying to people, you would realize that God is much more concerned about your attitudes, your motivation, your thoughts, your priorities, or rather than whether what you're, uh, the way you uh, act religiously looks good. Get the inside right, Jesus said, and your actions will follow. They are fools as they give significance to things that don't matter and neglect the things that do. Honesty, love, and kindness. And then he said to the rich fool, he said, you worked hard. You built bigger, bigger, and bigger premises. And you thought to yourself, now I will enjoy my life. But God says to you, you fool, this night your life is required of you. Your wealth will be enjoyed for others. This is how it is with those who store up riches on earth but are not rich towards God. I like the saying, even when you win the rat race, you are still a rat. Even when you get to the top of the ladder, you discover the ladders against the wrong wall. Or the foolish young women, the wedding participants whose role was to greet the groom and light his way to the wedding banquet. Five were ready and prepared and planned. The other five were not. The folly of sleeping our way through life, thinking it will all work out today, uh, thinking it will all work out, but today is the day to seek God and be prepared for him. Or the foolish builder, Jesus says, who builds his life on sand, on just the things that you'll read in your newspaper today, getting money, getting status, 
having fun influence. One day those shaky foundations will be washed away. Only the treasure you store in heaven will remain. The love you've shown, the sacrifice, the generosity, the hard work for God's kingdom. Many times Jesus speaks of the slowness and the folly of those who follow him. On the road to Emmaus, he said to the two disciples who did not recognize him, you fools, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. And beginning with Moses and working through the prophets, he explained how it all made sense. And so today, God says to some of us gathered here, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe everything I have told you. We live in a world of rationalism and empirical evidence and media distortion, so much so that we feel foolish because we don't always know what to believe. But the fact that you're here today says to me, says to God, that you are open. You are wanting to know God. You are hungry for spiritual reality. And maybe the really foolish thing to do today would be for you to leave here without seeking God further. Without saying to God here and now, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, as the centurion said. We are all fools for Christ. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 10 says, we are fools for Christ. But it seems sometimes that everyone else is so strong in Christ. And Paul's irony here is tangible. The Corinthians, that letter that we read from, actually claim to be spiritually superior. They have the spirit, they're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying, they're having a wonderful spiritual party with little focus and a poor example for others. They've become partisans. Some are following Paul, others Apollos, others Peter. They're engaging in all kinds of unethical behavior. And as a community, they reflect little of the teaching of Jesus. For they think that is a little more sophisticated than the simple preaching and teaching of the cross. Like many people today, they wanted to believe something that sounded persuasive, intellectually eloquent, with signs and miracles and wonders of all kinds. They wanted all the sensational gifts. They wanted to indulge in everything, including the immoral behavior of the culture they are in. They are a teenage Christian community, with apologies to all teenagers here. It's just that they hadn't grown to maturity, even though many of them were well into their, well beyond their teenage years. They were testing all the boundaries of being church and following Jesus, and they were missing the point wholesale. Paul says to them, in essence, the message of the resurrection is simplicity itself. And that should give all of us reassurance. It is deep and profound enough for the deepest mind that's gathered here today. But it is safe and protective enough for the most vulnerable. Preaching Jesus Christ, dead and buried and raised from the dead for our forgiveness, giving us access to God, is the simple, powerful truth that transforms lives and changes communities. It is the power of God to transform. It is the power of God to heal the broken. 
It is the power of God to bring peace and hope. We add our extras to make the gospel sound better, and it loses its impact. It loses its power. It is the simplicity of the gospel that is its genius. Occam's razor, if you've heard of it. This is the principle of simplicity, according to which the simpler the theory is, the more likely it is to be true. This is not something that Occam invented. It's a principle found in uh, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle because the simple truth of God is the reality. The foolishness of God is wiser than the highest thoughts of anyone. One of the great privileges I've had this year as president is to meet some amazing people. And I want to introduce you to three people who have been transformed by the simple power of the gospel. This is Steve. Steve is a confessed alcoholic, but he hasn't had any alcohol for 10 years. He has a number of issues, personal issues, that make life difficult and testing for him. But he came to know Jesus in Colwyn Bay in North Wales. And Jesus transformed his life. And the simple truth of the gospel has enabled Steve to know God for 10 years, to know a community that loves him, and to become one of the most gracious, generous, and kind young men I have met. And then let me introduce you to Dee. Dee looks very lovely there. But she said to me, Diane, I didn't always look like this. She said, uh, a number of years ago, I was a pagan. I had dreadlocks, I wore black makeup, I was angry and filled with hatred. I was a witch, she said, and I prayed for bad things to happen to people. And then some Christians moved in next door, and they were so irritating. They told me that God loved me in my brokenness, and they had a Bible that they said they would give to me if ever I wanted it. And six months later, I knew I needed to know that God loved me. And I knocked next door and I discovered the transforming power of the love that is found in Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to Jesus and she said, here I am now, in ministry, serving the homeless with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then another one who uh, I met in the uh, West Midlands, Aaron. Aaron was a nasty piece of work by any standards. The leader of a very right-wing gang. Violent, aggressive, racist, everything that you could imagine. He was a drug dealer, he was drug dependent, but God was on his case. And Aaron <clears throat> had a crisis, and he simply said, Jesus, if you're there, I want to know you. And God met with him, as God always does when we seek him. And so he came to know Jesus as his saviour and Lord. He turned from the life he had been living and he said, Lord, I want you to take away my addiction to drugs and I want you to give me an addiction to your word. And I heard him preach and he was amazing. And I said, he only lasted three months at college. He's not that sort of person. But he said, basically, I read the Bible for two hours every day. And God speaks to me, and that's all I share with people. 
a little Baptist church in the West Midlands in Aldbury have called him to be their pastor. That was foolishness too. Who'd call someone with that background? But a little Baptist church that had never had any baptisms for many years had 46 baptisms last year. And I know they've already had a number this year because God's hand is on Aaron. Aaron doesn't have any cleverness about him. He has the simple truth of the transforming power of the gospel. And that's what God says to us today. Will you be fools for Christ? And so the call today is to be fools for Christ. And we're not good at being fools for Christ because our stiff upper lip, our Britishness, our doing things properly sometimes makes that hard. Today is the day to party like no other, yes, to thank God for his amazing grace, his majestic love, his holy forgiveness. To remind ourselves that Jesus is alive, and that means for us, each one, guilt removed, freedom given life and hope. But the world we live in will think we are foolish. Why waste your life going to church, they will say. And sadly, religious people have also questioned our foolishness. Some theologians and intellectuals have rationalized the supernatural power of God out of the gospel. They have cut and left out all the bits that don't acknowledge God's intervention in history. And so they have no answer for people like Stephen and Dee and Aaron. You see, God doesn't need you to be clever, knowledgeable and perceptive. He needs you to trust him. And he needs you to hold on to the gospel. He needs you to align yourself fully with the kingdom of God and his purposes and his plans. Some of you here, God is speaking to you. And it's like God has sent you 2,000 emails and there they are in your inbox. And you've never opened them. Today is the day to respond. Today is the day to say to God, I'll be a fool for you. I don't get it all. It doesn't make sense, Lord. But I will be a fool for Jesus. The radical claims of Jesus are foolish in our 21st century material world. But they are the best way to live. Seeking God daily, taking risks, seeking his kingdom, sacrificing, showing love, compassion, kindness, being forgiving, seeking God's grace for your anger, hatred, anxiety, mistakes, all of that is God's power at work. Oh, yes, we'll look foolish. Yes, people will say um, it's much better to look after yourself, to plan for your retirement, to make sure that you've got money in the bank. Some will say that the empty tomb is the greatest April Fool's Day of all time. But that is to deny God. It is to deny God who can do all things. And yes, the resurrection of Jesus is foolishness to many people. But it's not without evidence and basis. If you look and see, you will know that lawyers and journalists and many have tried to disprove the resurrection. And they have ended up becoming Christians. Frank Morrison, Lee Strobel, and much earlier, Lewis Wallace, all tried to do that, starting out as sceptics, but coming to know 
Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord, risen from the dead. And so let us be fools for Christ, believing that without him we can do nothing, but through Christ we can do all things. Will you be a fool trusting God for those situations which you face? Trusting God that, our lo- that he will keep you and hold you through it all? Will you be a fool and do something that maybe seems ridiculous to those who don't know God? Some of you here, I don't know, maybe haven't been baptised. And I often think actually going into the water and coming out is the greatest act of folly to the world around. And yet actually it's the greatest indication and witness to Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. Some of you maybe actually haven't even said, Jesus is my Lord, and maybe today we say, yes, Lord, I want to put you first in all things. Will you be like my friend Ed, who wanted to do, no, he didn't want to do something ridiculous for Jesus, he was hoping that he didn't have to. But God gave him a vision, and he went to his pastor and said, I've got this vision, and I want you to tell me it's not from God. And his pastor said, I think it is from God. God, uh, Ed had a small inheritance. He had a wife and two girls. And God told him to give up his job with his income and begin a mission to house the homeless in Peterborough. And so eight years ago, Ed began Hope Into Action. And he gave everything that he had to start it. Eight years on, they have 50 houses. And they housed um, 180 people last year. And they are uh, actually uncompromising in telling people we do it because of God's love in Christ. And about 10% of the people they house become Christians and come to know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. And maybe God has given you a ridiculous vision and it's time to act on it and to do it. Or maybe God wants you to be a fool like my friend Sue. Sue was uh, a specialist cancer nurse. Uh, She's been made redundant, but that's another story. But she has now been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She has been told she has between one and four years to live. But from the very start of her journey with cancer, she said to God, will you help me to use this to honour you? Will you help me to talk to people in the clinics that I go to because she had specialist understanding? Will you help me sensitively, graciously, simply to be Jesus to the people I meet on my cancer journey? And God is using her. She's having amazing conversations and opportunities and God is blessing her. And she said to me when we had coffee last week, she said, you know, it doesn't really matter whether I live or die, does it? Because if I die, I just go to be with Jesus sooner. And as the Apostle Paul so also said, if I live, I live to honour him. Maybe your foolish act will be simply to offer to pray for someone, to give a gift to tell someone how amazing the message of Jesus is. Maybe it will be to be baptised or to give your life to Jesus or to fulfil that vision that God gave you that you've never fulfilled. But the worst thing you could do is to be wise in your own eyes. To do the sensible thing that the world says is sensible. Being a fool for Christ is the best role to have. Now, one of the things I've done as I've gone around churches is I've anointed people with oil. As Baptists, we're not great at kind of blessing each other and doing symbolic acts and saying, we want more of you, God. 
And you know something? If you want to be a fool for Christ this morning, and you want me simply to put the sign of the cross and say, Lord bless you, that you might be a fool for Christ. As we sing our final song together, uh, um, Oh What a Morning, we're going to be just down here. If there's too many, then Derek's going to help me. And we're just going to pray that God might enable you to be his fool, to serve his kingdom purposes. For he's got so much more for us, and we need to let him use us so that his kingdom can be seen here. So we'll sing our final hymn, and if you would like to be anointed with oil, to be a fool for Jesus, you come and join me at the front, and I will do that.